Welcome to this second um, day of Forum, 154 Forum. My name is Karen Greenberg and I have organized this year's program. It's a pleasure to be here today and um, particularly to be celebrating the life of BC Silver, the formidable Nigerian curator who passed away earlier this year and who we're dedicating Forum to. You will have noticed from the program, and if you haven't had a copy already, you can pick one up at the back, that there are four afternoons, and each one is themed in a very particular way. Yesterday, we reflected on the role of women in the arts. Today, we're dedicating the session to valuing research, engaging with the past, and working with archives. We have three sessions today, the first of which I'll introduce in a moment. After this panel discussion, we have another conversation between Ehiani Onwubucha and Bia Gasman de Souza from 3.30 to 4.30. And then the final um, event today will be about reimagining Africa's place in the Indian Ocean. And it's a conversation between Ashraf Jamal and Shiraz Baju. So I hope you'll be able to join us for more of these talks. Um, as I mentioned, this is all very much dedicated to BC. There is a small publication at the back that you can pick up. And uh, as the course of the events roll on, you'll get to know much more about her extraordinary life and all the people that she influenced. Um, many of our speakers in this program are people who had a very direct relationship to BC and either collaborated closely with her uh, or kind of were engaged with her in a, in a kind of critical dialogue. She was hugely influential on many of our lives. And so I think it's a great moment to reflect on that and to particularly pay attention to her legacy and the issues that she was uh, championing throughout her life. One of which was, of course, research and the importance of research, both for curators, but also for artists. And so the panel we've assembled here are people for whom research is absolutely at the core of their practice. So I'm delighted to introduce you to our moderator this afternoon, Paul Goodwin. Paul is an independent curator, researcher, and urban theorist who's based in London. Paul's curatorial and research interests span the fields of art and migration, urbanism and critical curation, with a focus on African diaspora art and visual cultures. He is currently a professor at the University of Arts London and holds the chair in contemporary art and urbanism and is director of TRAIN, the Transnational Art, Identity and Nation Research Centre. So thank you, Paul, for being here. Um, the three artists assembled on the panel, Godfrey Donker on the far left, um, was born in Kumasi in Ghana and is an artist who has spent most of his life traversing two continents um, and cultures. He spends more time in Ghana now than he used to, but um, I know him from his time in London, a very important artist who has sp investigated the shared history between Africa and Europe. He reflects on the commercialization of people in his work and frequently uses newspaper <coughs> print, particularly stock market figures from the Financial Times as backgrounds in his collages. If you'd like to see his work, you can do at uh, the Stand Gallery 1957, upstairs as part of the fair. Um, Gottfried has had exhibitions um, many different places, and his works are held in collections like the Stadelijk Museum, the Studio Museum in Harlem, the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art in Washington, etc. Um, next to Paul is Mary Evans, a Nigerian-born, London-based artist, uses craft paper and other disposable materials to interrogate sites, stories, place, and belonging through the social, political, and historical frames of diaspora, migration, global mobility, and exchange. 
She has had participated in a number of group exhibitions internationally, uh, most notably a Fiction of Authenticity, Contemporary African Art Abroad um, in 2003, the third Guangzhou Triennial in 2008, the EVA International um, F in Limerick in Ireland in 2016, and more recently, Lagos Photo last year. She is a BA Fine Arts course leader at Chelsea College of Arts, uh, University of Arts London. Um, between Mary and Gottfried is Leo Asamata, um, who was born in Benin City in Nigeria. He has uh, been living in London for the best part of his life, I think, <laughs> as long as I've known him anyway, um, and had a really important role as one of the ASECO faculty members. And if you'd like to know more about what ASECO was, we will have a panel on Saturday dedicated specifically to ASECO. But uh, it's artists like Leo who played such an important role in educating a younger generation on the continent. Um, at the heart of Leo's practice is research, and it's a multimedia practice. And I'm hoping he'll be speaking about his long-standing ENDS project as one of the topics today. So welcome to our speakers. Thank you so much for being here, and also to the audience. I hope you find this panel um, really fascinating. There will be time to ask questions at the end, so I will hand over now to Paul. Thank you. <coughs> Thank you. Thank you, Karen, for that introduction. Um, I was told that the best technique for holding this mic is to put it by my chin like this. So it looks a bit awkward that I'm kind of, you know, trying to speak uh, in a very <laughs> constrained way. That's the reason why, because I've been told to put it like this. Um, anyway, Busy Silver. Uh, I think probably everyone in this room, I'm sure, has probably met Busy. She was ubiquitous in a positive way. Um, and that ubiquity reflected her centrality and importance in discourses not only around contemporary African art, but around international art and art uh, generally. Busy, um, as Karen mentioned, we're going to talk about research and the importance of research and the practices of these three fantastic artists that we're, uh, we've assembled, and all of them, in various ways, uh, have a research as an important part of their practice. But what I'm interested in is to find out what does research mean in the context of an artist's practice. And I ask that as someone who is based, as Mary is, in an art school, <coughs> in an academic setting, <coughs> the director of a, a research center on transnational art, um, where the discourse of research um, and the practice of research in relation to artists is becoming more and more professionalized. So there's a particular kind of discourse around research um, where artists now are doing PhDs, um, are becoming professionalized researchers, but I think what we want to ask today is what does research mean as a form of knowledge production and what does it mean within the context of what artists do? And of course, Bissi attributed a central importance to research in everything that she did, um, whether it was curating exhibitions and biennials, and Bissy was someone who made, who was very, who put a lot of emphasis on publication 
and giving voice and space to artists' uh, writing as part of her practice, or whether it was um, building a library and a research center, the CCA Lagos, um, where the library, I know, was a, a really central part of what she wanted to do there. Um, and that, again, reflected this an expanded idea of research as being something not just for academics to produce among themselves, producing dusty tomes, but also something that is accessible for, for people, including younger artists. Um, and of course, as Kerin mentioned, um, the idea of a roaming art school, a SICO, uh, and both Godfried and uh, Leo have taken part in the SICO as, uh, as uh, facilitators and as faculty. Um, although Bissy was, of course, we trained as a curator, um, did a master's at the Royal College of Art, where she, in fact, undertook research on the question of the invisibility or visibility of black artists in Britain. So she has a lot of resonance with, uh, not just on the continent, not just internationally, but also here, in terms of one of the first producing an, you know, a, a really important documentation of uh, the question of artist practices in, in the UK. Um, but she was very, I think, dedicated to working with artists and to nurturing their practices, including um, research. How we're gonna do this today is that um, each artist will give a brief account of their practice in relation to research, uh, starting with Gottfried, um, and then Mary, and then Leo will say a few words about his work. And then um, I've got some questions and some uh, things that we can kind of discuss among ourselves, um, and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> I've got a whole host of them, but you know. Um, but we also want to kind of open it up and have this as quite an informal, in the spirit of collaborative research, have this as quite an informal conversation. Um, so feel free at any point to raise your hand if you want to clarify something and to engage in a, a discussion. Because I think um, research is something which is often mystified it's often um, conducted in a language which is designed to exclude. And I say that again as someone in the university context. And I think that's a big problem. I think one of the exciting things about artistic research is that artists bring the essential ingredient of creativity, of invention, of innovation, um, experimentation, um, which I think destabilizes and for me, productively enhances what research can be and the potential of research for transformation, which is what I'm invested in uh, with, with research. So uh, let's start with Gottfried. Um, I'll hand over to him now to talk a bit about his practice. Thank you, Gottfried. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. So I'm going to talk a little bit about this project, which is uh, my first major project that I did in Accra, which was in 2017, with the gallery in 1957. Um, and this image is uh, and it's called The First Day of the Yam Custom. 
and it was made by an English explorer uh, called Thomas Bowditch. And so Bowditch was in the region that we now call Ghana um, in 1816, 1817. He was employed by the Royal African Company and the British government, and he was part of a delegation to come to that region to uh, essentially negotiate, to essentially set up a mission in that region and then negotiate with the power, <coughs> the power force that was there. And, and that happened to be the Ashanti uh, kingdom and the Ashanti people. And um, Bowditch was instructed to go and find out as much as he could about the Ashantis, everything that they did, in order that the British knew what they were dealing with. So he uh, set off in, from Cape Coast Castle in 1816, traveled to Kumasi, which is where I'm born. And um, I first came across this image when I was doing that, my MA at SOAS, uh, in the book that Bowditch came back and published in 1819 called Mission from Cape Coast Castle to Kumasi. And it just blew me away, this, this image in particular, because it was done on four A4 sheets of paper, and he, he watercolored it. I think that he probably did it later when he got back to England, but anyway, it, it kind of opens out. And it shows uh, the first day of the yam custom is when the yam harvest, every year the yam harvest comes in. And this is where the Ashantis know whether they, it's almost like the state of the union. It's when it's that old triple the colors. So they know that they're not gonna starve for this year, there's food. And so they all come and pay homage to the king. And so the central umbrella with, the, with the, the elephant on top, that's where the king of the Ashanti is sitting. He's there. So they all come, uh, all the royals, all the delegates, the warriors, are paying homage to him, and there's music, there's dancing, there's, and the generals are dancing with... What, what I noticed about this at first thing was that there were British flags there, there were Dutch flags, the, you know, the European flags, they're dancing with them. What's going on? Um, there are Europeans in there. And uh, so I started to kind of dig into this, well, first from the book <coughs> and then from other sources. And uh, this was in, I first saw this in 1995, by the way. Um, my challenge then, it, it just wouldn't leave my mind and I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know how to reproduce it. I didn't know what, what were the, anyway, so roll on to 2016 and I meet Mawam Zakim, uh, who runs the, funds the uh, gallery 1957. And we were discussing, uh, projects that he wanted uh, us to talk about and stuff. And I was saying, oh, God, there's, there's one project that's killing me, but I don't know how to do it, where to do it. And he said, we'll do it here, we'll do it here. And all of a sudden, after like all these years of not knowing where I could possibly, or how it became possible that this could be done in Accra, there was a space to do it, uh, there was a space to show it. And actually being in Ghana to do it seemed really relevant and seemed really... But after all these years, uh, it, it started to kind of materialized. So uh, Marwan gave me a space to work and I started, uh, I, had I had material already because I've always been obsessed by this image, so I started to put them together. And so this is basically how we started. Um, this is how I set up the studio. And uh, the images that you see, some of, the some of them are photographs that I've taken during trips to Ghana on, on previous occasions. And in fact, the, the, the group there that looks quite bluish were images that I took, slides that I took in 1995 when I, during my time at SOAS doing my MA thesis, I went back to research in Ghana and um, it was the 25th anniversary of the then Asantehine. So they had the Durba, which was the Yam custom in September. So I saw the equivalent, the 95 version of it. So I was able to take pictures there. And these pictures were buried in my studio in slides for years. And so I dug them up and then they came out. The other images we took off uh, the internet, and these are all kind of, uh, images of, of every time the Ashantis get together and celebrate the king. 
So you can see there's lots of gold, there's lots of umbrellas, there's lots of regalia, there's bouncing. Um, all these images I took myself, not knowing that one day I would need them. Um, and yeah, so that's, <laughs> I was just, yeah, working very hard. Um, so I was, I was, the book is there on the table, I'm surrounded by the images, and then, uh, and then this is the, so the, the, originally I was saying to my wife, well, maybe I want to do something which is standing, I want to do something which is the, the, like more like a theater set or something. Eventually once, uh, and then what material to use, eventually we uh, came up with uh, making them on, on wood panels. So we have nine wood panels that are put together and uh, hanging on a wall like, uh, you know, rather than standing free, free stuff. And um, so that I can work on them all at the same time as one piece. And the idea also was to take what Baldic did, reimagine it, and present it in a contemporary context. So having, making it in Ghana was very important to me. The fact that it was be seen first in, in Ghana was also very important. And also I wanted people to immerse themselves in it, to feel like almost that you, it's a vista that you can go into. So this was the early drawing stage, the early layering, the early, um, the colors that I was also, uh, my palette changed when I started to work in Ghana. I just noticed the light is totally different. Um, I started working with, I've been working with oils and acrylics together for a long time, so that's also came in. And so these, these details had to be, because as I was working, I was reading Baldrige's account. So he would describe how the fierce and Asante war generals would just, you know, when they were in that Kumasi, the Asante would just try and intimidate them by, you know, dancing with these flags right up to them and creating dust and, you know, like harassing them, but in a, in a kind of tongue, uh, friendly, aggressive way. Um, so the, these, these images and thoughts were going through my head, and I, had, and I was keen to make sure that these came out. Uh, and so building up, drawing, painting, building, uh, slowly it started to take uh, uh, sh uh, shape. But I was, while I was working uh, in residence in Accra, my studio was uh, in uh, one part of Accra, and I, and I was staying in another part, but it was quite close, so I could walk most of the time to the studio. So the, the Accra colors and scenes and the colors of buildings, the colors of walls, the colors of uh, just, uh, just the general surround was, was very influential for me, so I was trying to apply these colors as well. So the colors were not Baudigis colors, but they were Accra colors that I was uh, interested in. And also, I would like to, as I work, I was documenting what I was doing to, to, for the layers so I can remember the process. And so slowly, we started to build it up. And this is uh, over a period of six months. Um, and then as, as we kept uh, building up, these are, these are other images that you can see on the floor and the water there that Baldrige also uh, painted during his time in Kumasi. So he painted... Uh, what well, he drew and, and watercolored Ashanti war captains in their regalia for him and described what they were wearing. So this is other scenes that I, I took from the, uh, the Bowditch piece that I was also working on. Oh yeah, so yeah, so this side of the studio was acrylic paint and then the other side of the studio was oil <coughs> paint, this acrylic and oil paint. Yeah, so this side was oil paint. So gradually, we, I was, the, the, the colors started to emerge, but I was very, very uh, aware all the time that I wanted uh, contemporary Accra colors to come into to, to the painting so that uh, 
my surroundings would be represented in the, in the work. So this is pretty much how it started to look before we, we, we took it out of the studio. The last thing that we did, well, the last thing I did was use a, a gold leaf. In, so in all the parts that seemed to be yellow, we, were, we attached and gilded gold leaf onto them. So this is Baldich. This is how I looked by the time I, I, I was coming up to the end of it. And so if you notice, Baldich um, only had one crowd scene on that side. But for, for my panel to work, I, had, I, I decided to create two crowd scenes so that it was encircling. So the, the notion that you just, the panel, the view, the vista just went round. So, and also the, the, the images of the, uh, the, the color and the hue of the photograph I wanted to capture in my painting. So that was my relationship to the, the reality and the contemporary. Um, in, the, in the book, uh, he talks about Ashanti religion, medicine, finance, and everything. I mean, the rivers, but also he talks in depth about music. So he put music that he heard in 1816 to scores, and this is one of them. I was just fascinated by uh, the notion of being able to hear something that was written, you know, in 1816. So, but these I actually decided to paint. So these I, I painted almost like canvases, painted every note. <laughs> um, so there was two that we did. Um, and then um, in Ghana, well, in every Ghanaian household, I'm sure in every Nigerian household, there's a, there's, there's a little chip wooden stool that we use in the kitchen. And normally it's just it's a wooden stool. Every house has one. So I decided to gold plate it. And so part of the part for, for the show, we, we also gold plating the shoe. So this is uh, the, 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 the stool, sorry. So this is when it was in progress. So as we opened, this is the opening of the show. This is the gallery that, that Mrs. Akim kindly built for the work. And this is the entrance into the, into the space. And uh, the cello and the, the score comes in because uh, while, we were, while I was working on this, uh, this project, there was a classical musician that worked uh, with the Zakim, yeah, you know, um, who will always be, most evenings be playing in the cello and um, entertaining uh, uh, beautiful music. And then it occurred to me that I'll show him the Baldic scores and see if he could uh, re recreate them. So we had this at the opening, and it was chilling. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't know why, what happened, I didn't record it, but the sound of, a, of an Ashanti war cry, which, is, which would normally be heard through horns and drums, being played by a cello, was completely surreal, but it kind of gave me the, the, that feeling of which I, exactly what I wanted was the feeling of of deja vu of some of, of noticing something from the past in the present. So as you enter the gallery, you see the stool is in the middle now finished. Um, on the right hand side is the is the panel, the the, the soldiers in the middle, and then on the left hand side were collages that I uh, that I constructed, which is. Uh, these collages are my, my drawings, the ways that I start to investigate projects that I want to do. That I, sometimes I, I don't show them, sometimes I show them. Um, and yeah, I can, so the, the collages were made up of the images that I, the photographs that I printed of my images that I took uh, when I went to the Asante Deva. And then mixed with Financial Times that we, uh, we also reprinted in Ghana, where I inserted in uh, proverbs from Ashanti uh, folklore. Uh, into the text, and so that some of them will read as financial data, but others will read as proverbs. 
Yeah. So that. So finally, this was the vista that I wanted uh, to 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 achieve. And and it's an ongoing process, uh, project. I'm still with Bowditch. I'm still working on the on 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 some aspects. The I mean, I'm I'm really keen to get into the music that he that he talks about. So my a lot of my projects, like I said, once I start on it, it it, it could take a long time. Research can take. A lifetime, mm -hmm. yeah, so it's never ending. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Godfrey. That's a really great start because you kind of really bring us into the studio to think about the studio as a space of research. And uh, a couple of things just quickly that I picked up from that. One is the importance of where we do research. So for example, the, the researching in Ghana, in Accra, is so important. Influence, for example, the palette, the colours, etc. But also the materiality and the embodiment of research, the sounds. Um, uh, it's more than just ideas. It's more than just thinking, abstract processes. It's actually embodiment and uh, material processes. Um, Mary, perhaps we'll go to your yeah. presentation yeah, now. Yeah, that green way. green is forward. Yeah, and red is back. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so it's kind of interesting in a way that I follow Godfrey because similarly, I'm interested in in looking for the contemporary and the historical, and I'm I'm quite really interested in um, historical documents, whether they're engravings, uh, whatever type of image, or um, just it kind of information. But my, my research, I, I'd say, takes various forms, as I'm sure all artists do. Um, these first images I'm showing are... Uh, in 2005, I was awarded a, an Arts Council grant to do a research and development, for research and development. And so the thrust of that research was very much to do with travel. I travelled to Ghana and to southern states of uh, the United States, and to certain, certain cities in, in Britain, Liverpool and Bristol in particular, because one aspect of my, an overarching aspect of my practice is to do with um, the African diaspora and very much in relation to the transatlantic slave trade. So I visited the, the kind of sites, geographical sites of the transatlantic slave trade. With no, I mean, that, that award that I got from the Arts Council was not um, designed for any particular exhibition or project. It really was a very open-ended um, research and development grant, and I had no idea what I was going to do with, the, with, what I, what, with whatever it is, was that I gathered. I was just on this ga gathering kind of mission, and eventually um, the work kind of came out of these two trips, 2005, 2006, to these various sites. Um, one of the first pieces was this, this piece of work, which was at the Queen Elizabeth Hall in um, 2007. And it was, a, at the time, it was a bicentenary of the um, abolition of the slave trade. And, and I made work <coughs> as a kind of backdrop to the, a series of events in that year. And you can probably recognise some of the images that I showed you in the, the previous slide. Yeah. And another piece that came out of that, that trip was uh, an exhibition that actually I was shared with Gottfried in, in this exhibition at uh, Stephen, Lawrence, hmm? Lawrence. Stephen Lawrence Gallery in Greenwich. And for me, it was just a, just a very, very simple, direct kind of correlation between 
the um, kind of spaces in Elmina Castle and Cape Coast Castle on the, the coast of Ghana, and this actual space, this gallery, which is in the um, University of Greenwich, which is housed in the um, former Maritime Royal Re Navy Hospital. Mm -hmm. And the, the correlation in the spaces was what struck me. And, and, and quite often with, with research, with my work, is I, I, might, I just need the, a scintilla of information with which to kind of run and, and, and make some, some work. So for that, for me, it was just this architectural feature, uh, the, the, the same kind of buttressing and kind of low ceiling um, for me to make this work. Similarly, this is a door in a gallery in Southwark Park, again from the Elmina trip, um, looking through the door of no return, taking photographs of that, that, of that space through the sea. And you can see here, um, quite often um, I, I'll, I'll see an image and then it literally will just be a direct kind of translation of the image into, into my, my language, which is generally speaking, not always kind of this cut paper which again is an, is, a, is an 18th century European tradition that I utilize in my way and to talk about the stories that I'm interested in in, in relation to the African diaspora. The image on the right is uh, um, engraved <coughs> by British kind of mystic poet um, William Blake and then a translation in my, in my language. Um, so, yeah, you know, segue to pottery, you know, well, what's kind of pottery got to do with, with, my, with my practice? But I was showing, in, I was invited to show in China in 2008. And, and, and lots of, like I said, a scintilla of information and, and also memories and remembrances. So I grew up in northwest London. Having been born in, in Lagos in Nigeria, I grew up in northwest London from the age of six. And um, on my street growing up, we had families from Jamaica, Ireland, India. We were from Nigeria. And all our mums, because it was mums at, at that time, had this dinner, dinner um, set. And I'm sure that a lot of you kind of recognize it. They all had this dinner set. They were all from somewhere else within the former British Empire. And it was as though, it was as though they all thought, to be really British, we've got to have this dinner set. You know, so from the age of seven, so, you, you know, I, I feel like I've been researching my whole life, in a way, to, to make my work. So I was really intrigued in that. So when I, in, in, in um, Guangzhou, I made this piece of work that was very much to do with the Chinese tradition of <coughs> blue and white pottery. And, um, you know, there was an affinity. People recognized the, the image. They recognized the tropes that I was using. They recognized the blue and white, even though I was telling different stories with it. So this image, um, which I'm sure you're familiar with, the, the top image is the, is the um, kind of diagram of, the, of how slave ships were um, um, kind of <coughs> utilised or whatever the word is. And I first saw that image when I was 14 at school in Nigeria, because I went back to Nigeria for two years when I was 14. And that's when I first saw that image in a history book. Um, I had never seen it here before I'd gone to Nigeria. And I saw it there for the first time. And, and I think I just filed it away. I mean, at that time, I was 14. I wasn't, you know, I knew that at that age I was going to go to art school. But I just filed that away in my kind of brain um, kind of Rolodex until, until it started to creep into my work. 
and then <coughs> I made, I started working with, with the image properly in 1999, but this piece of work was made in 2012 for Shahad and Tiwani Contemporary, in which I made a two-metre drawing of the kind of outline of the Brooks slave ships. And then I baked these gingerbread men and placed them onto the, the diagram. And again, it's this one image that has a huge resonance. And, and similarly to what um, Godfrey just said, um, these things recur in my practice. So I'll, I'll work with this image again and, and again in, in may, maybe different guises. In fact, I'm remaking this piece for a show in a couple of months' time. Um, the, these, um, this was a, for a piece of work, I, uh, an installation I did for the Edinburgh Festival in 2014. So I spent two days at the Royal Botanical Gardens in Edinburgh. <coughs> um, so residencies, are for, are for me, are quite a good um, kind of a initial starting point for research. So I, and, and it wasn't a residency, it was just an invitation to go to the, the Botanical Gardens for a couple of days. But I was interested in um, this flower, particularly, was the, the start of, my, of this research for this project. When we lived in Nigeria, we had this beautiful garden in um, Ikeja in Lagos. And, uh, and the, the um, what are they called? Uh, botanist at, at uh, the Botanical Gardens kind of challenged me to challenge him, to challenge him and said they had like three... 300 million seeds or something in the, um, in, the, in the stores, in the archive of the Botanical Gardens. And he said, um, I'll find any, any seed that you want. Just, just, just tell me, I'll find it. And I said, well, what about the hibiscus plant that was growing in my garden in 1980? You know, will you be able to find that? And he found it. And it was this. And it made me, it just started me on this trajectory to think about Africans who had been transplanted. So this is, this is in, in Edinburgh. It had been transplanted. It's originally an Indian um, flower, apparently. So it had been transplanted to, to Africa and then transplanted to Europe. And I was interested in this transplantation of Africans to Europe, such as Sarah Bartman up there in the top corner from South Africa, Equiano, Dido Bell. And this is a, the painting of um, Dido Bell, whose mother had been an enslaved African and father was a, an English nobleman. This painting used to be in, in Kenwood House, but is now in the Scottish... Um, so it just started a, a series of, of uh, an installation for this show at the um, Edinburgh Festival, which ended up, part of it ended up as these kind of commemorative plates, which again are, are ongoing. I, I make these every now and then. I make these commemorative plates for people. Uh, most more recently, 2016, was an exhibition in, in um, Limerick and Ava International, which also Godfrey was also. <laughs> Godfrey and I just kind of follow each other around <laughs> all over the place, really. <laughs> Um, and um, so, you know, my main, the main thrust of my research, I suppose, is Afri the African diaspora because of my own um, family story. But I grew up with a lot of Irish people, as I said, in, uh, in northwest London. So I was looking into the Irish diaspora and, you know, the similarities and made work that had to do with, with the Irish diaspora, the African diaspora, but also the more recent um, kind of migrant crisis, as it's called, um, in the last two or three years. This is very up-to-date. This is just a couple of weeks ago. This show opened in Plymouth um, Museum in the university. 
And next year, 2020, is the 400th anniversary of the sailing of the Mayflower from Plymouth in the UK to Plymouth Rock in Massachusetts. And uh, this piece of work is part of the, the kind of ongoing year-long um, uh, celebration, commemoration, whatever you want to call it. And for this um, project, I had access to the City Museum's collection. And the City Museum is actually closed for refurbishment at the moment, but I was um, taken to their stores in the countryside, in the Devon countryside, and just had a look at some of the things they had there. And I have never, ever in my life included anything else in my work that, that is from somewhere. Even though I'll do all this research, it's more of a kind of a... It tends to be quite amorphous in a way, but I included um, these uh, kind of objects that are part of my figures, which I've never done because I've never wanted the, the figures in my work to date, because I've always wanted them to be historical and contemporary at the same time. So I was worried about that, but as, as you can see, she's wearing some um, 18th century shoes and there's cabinets. These are all objects from this collection in the Plymouth Museum, and she's got a parasol. But it was just... So it just depends. It depends on the project. It, it fit this particular project for me to, to look into that collection. I think that might be the last image. I know, and that's it's the same. This is Sir Francis Drake's cup. And, and I really wanted to place it here with this child, as though it's a great big rattle that this child is, is just kind of playing with this silver cup. And um, so opposite the big wall with the work on, was, I, there were some windows, so I kind of recreated some of the same images with the city behind it. And that um, kind of, you can just about see that um, building behind that figure, that's the, the museum and it's opening in March. Thank you. Great, thank, thank you for that, Mary. Um, there's a couple of things that um, stood out for me. Um, one is you, you mentioned that you just need a scintilla, I think the word was. Mm of uh, information or a fragment. Yeah. I thought that's quite interesting that it, you kind of like, <coughs> it can just be a fragment mm. that can spark off, you know, a research process. And yeah. then the other thing I thought was really interesting was um, this idea of translation. Yeah. You said that, you know, in a way, what you do in the studio is you translate those fragments, ideas, into your artistic language. Yeah. So research in some ways is about a form of translation. Yeah. Or the art practice translates those ideas. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Leo, would you like to talk, talk us through a bit your, about your practice? <coughs> Actually, um, I decided not to. Okay. Um, but I, I also wanted to, I am going to, and what I want yeah. to do, to say that uh, in as much as I am pleased to be here today to be in your company. But also, I'm very displeased that we're here talking about someone who's passed away. And uh, also, to talk about how great her work was, which, but no one, I don't think anybody here had the thought to let her know why she was alive. So, for that, I decided not to put you. I can talk about research, because my work is essentially about that, at least an aspect of it. But, um, I will not try any work. Thank you. Point, point made. Okay. Um, so, just to kind of open up some of the questions that um, that interested me. Um, it feels as though history 
is a common thread, I think, in, in your practices. Mm. I know Leo is also interested in history in some ways. Um, and I just wondered, <coughs> how do you approach thinking about history in terms of research? You know, an, an academic might start with a book or with a particular date or a fact. It, I mean, images seem to be obviously very important for artists. How do you encounter those images? So, you know, is it just a, is it a chance encounter? Is in Godfrey, in your case, it was when you were doing your research, your academic research, mm. right? Your yeah. MA yeah. in art history mm. at SOAS. Um, yeah. I was quite intrigued to find out a bit more about, as artists, how you approach the question of history. I mean, you're not necessarily historians, but history is quite important to mm. what you do and what you research. Yeah, I think for me, history is, history is all around us. Mm. I mean, London is a very historical place. And um, I've always been, whenever I go back to Ghana or to Africa, to, especially to the West Coast, Nigeria, Senegal, I'm almost, I always sometimes get a feeling like I'm going back in time because the buildings give you uh, a feeling of the history. Some, some of the structures, some of the, some of the ways that you see an, uh, uh, an old building that you think, oh, nobody could be living, but people be living in there. They'll be living in there, going to school in the morning, children will be going to school, you know, families. Uh, so that, that idea that something that's old and 200 years old and doesn't look safe, but currently people are operating in it in, in, in today's terms, that appeals to me. That's, a, that, that's, that's the kind of... Uh, but history for me also is uh, fascinating because it's not always true. We, we assume that history is true and it's always it's all pure fact. But actually, no, history is made up. It's... Uh, it's, uh, it's something that we want to say about something that happened in the past and we can embellish it, we can uh, add a bit to it. Yeah. And that's what fascinates me as an artist because then, then I get my uh, kick from that because I can, I can create something from that. Yeah. I can create something from a history that has a bit of mythology in it um, and then carry on making images of it. Yeah, I, th I think I first became aware of history at school, it, it, had I not gone to art school, I would have studied history in university. Um, so, as I say, I was 14 when I went back to Nigeria and I was um, studying, and and I saw that image of the Brook slave ship in a history book. So, that I think that at that age is when I first realised that that who tells the story and and that history is contingent on on who's who's telling who's telling it. I hadn't seen that image at school here, but I saw it at school there. And um, it, it made me realize that it, it, I, that's when I kind of became aware quite more acutely of the relationship that, that Britain had with, with West Africa, with Nigeria, with, with other places. And when I did my exams, and I turned over my exam paper and it said University of Oxford Examination Board, mm. and I just thought, oh my God, <laughs> you know, I mean, I knew that, I knew it, but, but I, it just kind of became explicit. And ever since then, I have been, had this interest in, um, you know, why things are how they are, things are how they are because of certain relationships that, that or global relationships or whatever. And, and it's always just been, it's just been there for me. It's just been part of my work, part of my thinking. And Leo, um, in your practice, particularly around the ONS project, could you maybe speak a little bit about the role of history and how you approach history in your research? 
I mean, history is not singular. It's, it's part and parcel of all other aspects within that project. And mm. uh, I think you and I have had a conversation about this before. And I was saying that uh, we have I many did say times. that uh, history ultimately are records. And it depends on whose records you can find. Uh, in that pursuit of trying to realize an idea or so that more or less better informs the, the thing you're hoping to create or, or, or produce for that matter. But yes, like Gottfried said, it's, it's an account. Uh, depends on who's, uh, the motivations of whoever it is that's giving that account. But I, I know for sure that, that at, at least my approach to what I do is that that, that account it could be something musical, not, not, not necessarily something written in terms of a history book. I also know for sure that, quite frankly, that's not the best place to find anything that's more or less a good account of, of a thing. Uh, also, uh, being born and raised in Benin City, uh, and, and, and where the history of the peoples are cast in artworks, mm. you cannot help but, but look at that source of information to, mm. to how an account of, of a particular time, a period of a peoples is, was, was uh, more or less documented. So, so I, I know for a fact, and, and, and my approach to what I do is, is to uh, make the connections. And those connections are not necessarily in a history book, uh, per se. Uh, if anything at all is, is the last place you want to look for anything accurate to do with uh, an event. And, and sometimes in, in, the, in the performances, I conflate that, where, where people who want location may not know what's happening in another location. That account of that thing that's happened is inaccurate. Depends on where you were at when it was taking place. So uh, I, just, I just wanted to broaden the conversation out a little bit more and go into the nature of your relationship to this wider idea <coughs> of research, right? Um, because research, as I mentioned in my introduction, <coughs> research is big business. There's a lot of money out there now. I ain't getting any of it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which says quite a lot, yeah, right? So who, who, who has access to that money and that research? I guess why I'm asking this question is, you know, what's at stake in, in research? Um, and is it something that you just do in the studio? Is it something that you, that you share? Is it something that you just do yourself? And uh, only, only in times like this at a talk, you might talk about it. You know, is it something that, is that part of your teaching process? Is it something that you, you know, or is it really, in other words, <coughs> is it a part of the process? And how important is that compared to what you actually produce, which is the artwork? You know, where does the research rank alongside that, right? Because with the rise of the artist PhD, research is becoming the end, it is becoming the project, it's becoming the, the output. But I'm interested in all of you who are working in, in biennials, international contexts, how do you make your research visible? How do people know about your research? Yeah, I was, I was gonna say, I, I was just uh, thinking of what Mary said about just any little tip, any little bit of information she, is a starting point for her to start yeah. working. Yeah. For me, that's what, that's what research is. Mm. is about it's like it's the most interesting part of what i do mm. it's the most interesting part of what i do is not painting or it's, it's the research it's the it's the finding out it's i can almost you know uh, kind of wallow in the research and the product the artwork comes as an incidental thing for me um 
the research is the, is the real kind of engagement that I have. Um, you know, uh, whether the, the material that you're researching is true or not is really interesting, but so whether it's contemporary, you know. So for me, I would, I, I would research and uh, happily, if I was paid for it, like you say, there's money in it. There was money in it for me to just research. And then the artwork would just be, is, you know, less important, you know. But uh, I approach research as a, as a kind of a matter of this is what occupies me the most. This is what I find interesting. So for you, what you're saying is that an artist is a researcher. You well, see yourself as, they a, are. as I mean, a researcher. Yeah, they've always an been. artist or he is? Both. In general, artists. You cannot say, you cannot say that in general. Both. No, no. Uh, artists okay. could be researchers. They could be researchers, but not research in a scientific sense. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because uh, as a given, that's what I'm, I'm trying to, to get clarity on. Mm -hmm. An artist is a researcher. I don't, I don't in Godfrey's case, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. In his case, yeah. but not generally speaking. Well, I don't know. That's, it's an open question. I mean, my, my, my throwback to you is that you had trained. Yeah. Uh, how do you consider research and artistic research? Yeah. Uh, not just the fact that we do it, but. Yeah. Uh, you in your capacity too, mm -hmm. uh, how do you view uh, research, whether as a, as a curator or as an artist? Yeah. I think it's a form of knowledge. Uh -huh. It's a form of revelation in the world, of bringing something new into the world that we didn't know or that we didn't understand from a particular perspective. And I think artistic research is really important, particularly at this particular time, when universities, art schools, academies are becoming more and more commodified when there's a pressure on artists, for example, to do PhDs and to become researchers in the university sense, mm. it's really important that we maintain and uh, protect the kind of approaches to, art, to research, which I think what you, which is what you embody uh, mm. collectively, you know, as artists, and to have that diversity and to have that connection to um, to material to to uh, not necessarily just uh, academic, you know, uh, quite narrow understandings of research. So I think the question of artistic research and what artist research is, for me, is fascinating and, and really important. I mean, I, over the last 10 years, people have been saying to me, have you, haven't you thought of doing a PhD? Mm. And I was like, no way. Why, why, why do I want to do a PhD? I feel like I'm making my work and that is my, my practice and yeah. my research and my PhD yeah. and, and, and my life and everything all rolled into one. I don't still, I need whatever validation that might be to have that, that, um, that piece of paper. And also, I mean, I, I said before about, you know, research for me can just be a tiny bit of information or an image, but it can also be experiential. This summer, uh, just uh, in July, I went to Nigeria with my mum and my sister um, apart from a week last year in, at Lagos Photo, for the first time in 28 years, I'd been to Nigeria with my mum and my sister. And, and that whole time was research. Mm. I, I talked to my mum's, uh, my aunties and uncles. I recorded them. Mm. I watched their rituals because we hadn't been back for a long time. So they were, you know, they were singing praise songs for us. And for me, all that was research. And somewhere down the line, it will end up in some work, mm. but um, I didn't. It wasn't like a I am going to do this research mm. on this trip. You know what I mean? It's it's kind of can be quite fluid and quite uh, amorphous. And and as Godfrey says, the work will just come over the next two three years. The work from that trip will just come out. 
you know, it was just... Uh, can I go back to the question of where we do research? Because I think one of the things that I took from BC is, and I, and I, th I think one of the things that she really was, uh, you know, really strong on is the importance of doing research and practice, you know, on the continent, right, at home, mm. um, with a lot of curators of uh, contemporary African art <coughs> are working internationally, are working in biennials, it's w working in you know in the West, at big universities, which is you know important. Um, I think you know the idea of locating <coughs> the research, you know, in Nigeria, in Lagos, building an archive, building a re uh, a centre, enables you to ask different questions about what contemporary African art is. That's not to denigrate 154 in London, <laughs> but there isn't a 154 yet. I mean, of course, there is on the continent, but you know, it, it, we, it, I think it's quite important about where we do the research. I'm just wondering, where does the, what does the location play for you? And, for example, Gottfried, the work in Ghana, in Accra, how important is that for you? But also, you know, what are you seeing in terms of the, the scene there and, and how that's developing in terms of artistic research. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting what you say, where we do research is important. But I think uh, it's, it's related. I, I find the fact that I was born in Kumasi, grew up here, uh, means that there's a, there's a link between being British, being Ashanti, being Ghanaian. And I, like um, Mary was saying, when I was, when I was also in my teens, I had a lot of friends who were Caribbean. And I was fascinated by... Barbados, why is there black people in Barbados? Why are there black people in Jamaica? So these questions kept passing until I went to the Caribbean in the 90s. So I had to, as a uh, British West African in the Caribbean in the 90s, I felt I made that journey of, of uh, and I wasn't even, the information that the, the trip that I had, the, 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 the stuff I was doing was called research and development. It wasn't for any particular work. But that, has, that uh, experience has, still is in my work now. The experience of being in the Caribbean or being in Jamaica and seeing that Jamaica reminds, it looks like partly like Ghana and it looks like England. You know, so it has those two elements going on. Um, Barbados also. So for me, I think, yes, you can say uh, we can research. I research everywhere. I mean, I research every day. Um, you know, I, I, think, uh, we, I think we all do. I mean, we research where we're going to go for lunch and what, what restaurants is good and you know, things like that, so friends, and I mean, that's something, it's not always going to be for work, but I think um, what, I, what I like to do here, I can do in Ghana. What I like to do in Ghana, I could do here. And often when I'm in Ghana, I'm thinking about stuff I want, a research I want to do here, and vice versa. Leo? Uh, it's often where it, it takes me, for sure. Um, the point of departure always is my studio here in London. Uh, it's a fantastic space. In many, many ways, allows me to carry out experimental materials and not, you know, it's not grand, as you, as you know, but allows me to carry out experiments or uh, maquettes with, with materials that I eventually use to make sculptures or whatever it is. But often is where that research then takes me. You know, I've been to, to Japan to look at how a particular kind of paper is made mm -hmm. or drawings that I'm making mm -hmm. and, and, and going to Benin to look at how the chalk which I used to make drawings and how vital that is within, within the, the spiritual uh, identity of the peoples. Yes, I'm from there, uh, 
does not guarantee or it's not a permission, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, because being from a place, quite frankly, you, are, you have a superficial um, relationship with the place you believe you're from, unless you begin to really look at the many layers of it. Of, yes, of course. So, so uh, what I take delight in, of course, is where the research takes me. And, and thank goodness I can always go, uh, if not necessarily physically, but also through my imaginations and, 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 and its affiliations. So, so where I do it is secondary. Where it takes me is the most vital. I must say, just, just to say that um, the first time I did any research into specifically African art objects or um, environments in particular was in the United States. It was in Baltimore Museum of Art in 2005 and then again in 2010 at the Smithsonian um, National Museum of African Art. And, and that really struck me because a lot of the things that I saw in those collections were things that my mum just had on a mantelpiece at home. <laughs> and I hadn't taken the blindest bit of notice of it growing up with it sitting there in the sitting room. It wasn't until I got to these other places where they were kind of, I don't know, conserved, co you know, collected, that I thought, oh, my, my mum's got that. You know, it was just... So there's... The, so there's also a, a, an, an idea of what is that, what's considered valuable, and, and who validates what what is supposed to, what, you know, be considered valuable to, to research or to look at, or whatever. Yeah. Right. Well, I think at this point it might be good to open up to the audience. So if you've got a question, please raise your hand. Maybe say who you are and feel free to ask a question or a short comment. There's a question over here. Uh, hi. Firstly, firstly, I'd like to say um, thank you all so much for being here. It's been a really informative talk. Um, so my name is Allegra, and I'm a, doing a master's in history. Um, particularly, I look at pre-colonial um, Nigeria, well, what the region that became Nigeria. And my question was, we're talking, as a historian, I didn't come here with an art background, and it's been really interesting to see how it goes from when you're talking about the research and your art my question is, how do you decide how much sort of description you want to put with your art? Because you have all this sort of knowledge. And I know as an artist, a lot of it's coming through the visual. But as a historian, I use my words, obviously, to talk to I, very, very descriptive. So I'm very curious to know about whether you feel just a little, just the title is enough sometimes, or whether you know you want to go into detail, for example, with the yam um, image, whether you want to go into detail about, oh, who was there, the time period and everything. Thank Excellent you. Excellent question. Thank you. Godfrey, do you want to maybe start? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, for me, I think it's, um, what was the question again? Oh. Like the no, because uh, the reason I've got to go, because um, what I see, what I do is like never ending and always continuous. So. For example, the YAM project is not finished. So I don't worry about how much I put in. I think, uh, I don't even think about it because they're just like small bits. They're small part one, part two, part three, and it can go on. So I just uh, put out whatever uh, version I want to say at the time. But 
normally I work on uh, multiple works. If it could be one picture, but it could be that just uh, blown, uh, copied multiple times, and each one will have a different uh, uh, aspect of it, and that would be one way of me saying uh, as much as I want to say. Do you see what I'm saying? So, but it's never finished, so it's never it's never a worry for me in terms of um, a finality. Uh, as a historian, you have to finish what you're doing, but for me as an artist, I don't feel like I I have to finish what I'm doing ever. So everything is, what I do is just leave it for a while and then I'll come back to it. Yeah. Leo, do you want to? Uh, I'll, I'll use the example that uh, Karen mentioned earlier. Um, there's a project I've been committed to for the past 14 years called the Young's Project. And I realized, I think maybe seven or eight years into it, that uh, the, the backstory is so huge that, that anyone who tried to follow it would definitely be lost. So, so um, we created a temporary website that has what I call, what we refer to as the encyclopedia, where you begin to see the things, all the affiliations with the project. They're not essays, they're just telling you uh, uh, the path that the project is taking, all the information is absorbed in it. Uh, I find that has been very useful uh, for anyone who's interested in the work. I also know he's been used as a teaching tool uh, in terms of artistic research. Uh, uh, realizing too that, that because of the, the simplicity of the project is only driven by three points, three, three, Benin, Britain, and Walter Benjamin. But within that simplicity, there's a, there, there's, there's a universe that I'm more or less mapping with, with culture, history, and reason. And, and for me, really, to, to keep track of this work, that's why this encyclopedia was, was, was set up. So that, that even wherever any site that the work is re realized in, there's a little information about that site, whether it's a country, whether it's a, a museum, or background to the allocation is there, as well as to the materials that, that are more or less driving the, the, the project as a whole. It's ongoing, just like the project. And um, I really realized that has been very, very useful, not just to me, but to to anyone who has been interested in the project. Mary? I think um, it depends, but I find titles really useful. Um, and also, I suppose, uh, maybe it's a bit presumptive of me, but I, I think I, I would rely on people knowing the context of my practice. So, for instance, the gingerbread piece there, so the title of that is Gingerbread, and then, and then the materials, you know, we have I, I put paper, pencil, molasses, sugar, blood, sweat, tears, and then I think that people will get it, you'll get what I'm kind of talking about. And just a quick comment, I mean, your question I think is really interesting to me in an art school context, because this is, a, this is something that we grapple with all the time, right, in the sense of <coughs> we, are, we have, for example, an artist PhD program, and there are debates about what that program should entail whether it should be text-based or whether it should be image-based or practice-based right so at the moment the protocols of research um, within an artist PhD context in the UK um, is still very much text-based right so you still even if you produce exhibitions or artworks or performances as part of your 
PhD prep process, you have to produce a text. It might be a short text, but you have to produce a text. We are, now, there are discussions about moving beyond that. Right? So there are discussions about moving beyond the idea of needing to produce a text. And that really goes to the heart of your question, which is, and the question that I asked at the beginning, which is, what kind of knowledge are we talking about? And that's what I think is interesting about artistic practice is because it opens up the question of knowledge beyond a very Western logocentric um, idea of knowledge, which is about you know, uh, a particular kind of practice. And it opens up other questions about seeing knowledge differently, about how we experience it in different ways, which is what I think is really rich about artistic practice. And we've seen that with the, the kinds of practices we've seen here. Any other questions, please? Good afternoon. My name is uh, Ifama. I'm not asking a question. I was just responding in, in terms of the question that the other lady asked because it, I think it's very, it's a very important question, especially both as a practicing artist and also as someone in, you know, in the academia, where it's expected that you have to, there has to be some explanation to you. There always has to be some explanation to your work. And I sometimes in the past I used to grapple with that, like why do I have to? Why do I have to? make the work and then explain it to you, you know? Um, and so I think it's a, it's a matter of what are you hoping that people take out from the work? That should be the, the first question. You know, I understand from the historical point of view, you don't want some, um, you don't want to have some kind of written context that people can, can tap into. But then the question should start from the artist. What do you want people to take out from the work? Do you really want people to, understand everything that you, you know that you're doing about your work and which by the way it's impossible um or did you want them to build out of what you've created uh, i find that it's a lot easier to allow people to build out of the work because then it it um it it creates a richness to the work except if there's something very specific that you want people to take out of it then you can probably give um a text as a guide, but not necessarily as a, as the you know like the thing that you have to read and digest and then understand the work. Thank you. Thank you. Very thought-provoking questions there. Anyone want to kind of think about that, Leo? You said it wasn't a question. Oh, true. <laughs> 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 That's, <laughs> That's true. But there may be comments that you might want to reflect on. I agree with that. Okay. Anyone else? <laughs> Same here. <Yeah. laughs> sure. Um, and that's really around how you think of the artist's archive. And Leo has addressed this a little bit, but perhaps Godfried and Mary, you can talk to that question is, what does your archive look like? And what are you hoping might happen or not with it in the long term? I, I, would, I mean, generally, I would say my archive is a mess. It's like uh, <laughs> photocopies and boxes and... I'm always losing stuff, and um, but it's it's pretty much up here a lot of the time until I forget it. <laughs> and um, I mean, I'm not I'm not that serious and obsessive about it in the sense of it's. I collect ideas and things and images because anything that I see or read that I enjoy, I'll keep for to experience it again. A book that I like, I'll keep on my shelf so I can read it again. A, a tune that I like, you keep on the system so you can play it again. So for me, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, that's how I look at it. It's not uh, something that I think about, oh, I must leave a legacy of, re of, of material. 
it's a, it's a, it's a way for me to enable me to produce or to work. So I use the material to, 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 to uh, inform the work I want to make. Um, and, uh, and the work is kind of the, the archive of the, of the material, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so. Well, you said your research is more important than your material. Yeah, but uh, the research is not, uh, um, it's not important for me to keep it in boxes like you'll have in a British museum, you know, like all labeled and all set and all, and all kind of dust free and all kind of in sleeves and stuff. Because I exhibit research. You know, we've done a show together in Magba um, on curatorial artistic research. I think it's vital. Um, and often when the, the studio, the gallery attached to my studio was fully functioning, if I had a show anywhere else in the world, I would show, I'll have an exhibition of the research at this space. Uh, I know for What's sure. What's the purpose of that? Why do you show research? I need to see it. See how I arrived at the thing that's being seen by others, if you know what I mean. And those who have seen these other things, who are aware of, of a process, it's more a process, more than just there's my research material. Because it encompasses many different things, you know, uh, a video, a photograph, uh, a drawing, but all around the same thing. Mm. You know what I mean? So in itself, it's fully functional in that sense where it's, it's also a very creative enterprise for me. It's a creative undertaking that allows to something that might be considered an artwork. Um, but that whole body of work has a title all, all, of, all of its own. It's called the prime, the prime Mover's Will on the Architect. So everything that I amass over the course of realizing the Ons project is part and parcel of this. Includes maybe something I find in the flea market that is uh, sort of like a material culture of a particular period in time. It's very vital mm. to, to this process. In terms of an archive in the future, I'm still alive, God. <laughs> I'm not thinking about that. Um, similarly to Godfrey, my, my research is in plastic boxes on IKEA shelves in my studio. And, and, and it's not, I, I would never, ever show, show it. You know, I, I work very differently to, to Leo, for instance, and I wouldn't be interested in showing my research as part of, you know, a project, an exhibition or anything. Um, and also, having, having said that, a lot of my, my actual work is also disposable. You know, it doesn't exist after show I, I hardly ever get my work back after a show because it's it's disposable the, the for me that is the, the point of my work is that it's disposable because the stories that um the, the, the lives that i'm looking at have been considered disposable for mm. 400 years so that's why i make work out of cheap material and but you know degradable materials so so i'm i'm not interested in keeping i my my archive is just lots and lots of photocopies that's about it really What's also important, and it comes up with what Leo said just now, is like, I'm still alive, goddammit, right? Which is that an archive, we often think about an archive, as, as you said, in a box, locked away in a room somewhere, whereas we actually need a more expanded idea of the archive. I mean, you, mm. we, you know, we're not separate from the things that we produce. Mm. We are the embodiment of the archive, mm. you know? Mm. Um, and I think that's really important. So, um, and an artist can can manifest that in many ways. Doing this talk today, um, studio visits, um, teaching. Uh, in Leo's case, you know, having a exhibition 
it's part of the process of the uh, of the studio, etc. So um, anyway, th really good question. Any other questions? Have we still how, how long have we got? Okay, a couple more questions maybe. <coughs> Um, I know, well, sorry, my name's Christina, and um, a lot of the things you've been talking about have definitely um, struck a chord, I guess. Let me take it out of the African content, um, continent context for a little bit. So um, I worked with um, indigenous tribes within the Peruvian Amazon basin in 2017, and I think look, initially researching Amazonian cultures, but then when you went there, and because of the kind of history within that part of Peru and the way in which, you know, from colonial occupation but also within the kind of could be argued conflicts within the different tribal communities themselves that they kind of also rejected the idea of having a national collective archives of their experience of their histories and they kind of actively sought to only and maintain their community kind of culture history and knowledge within themselves and in their rural histories um, but more than that it was like when you were there because say within the Amazon rainforest, which you know you, you went into within like two hours, you were in like primary jungle, and then they're telling you these stories and these spirits and these things are real, like the predation of the environment, and then their, their history and their lived experience was something so visceral that once you were there, as an artist, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm an academic researcher, but it, it was challenging just in itself to be able to document and trying to remember all those intimacies, because there's so much, for me anyway, my work is, I'd say, it's heavily experiential in that spending time with communities or within the environments where I am is is so critical. And it's this intimate kind of exchange of knowledge and understanding things that I can never understand without sitting there with those people for the weeks that I did. And then seeing how they act and how they live within the contemporary setting that they are living in and how they are pushing for the right. So I guess it's also, to me, I find what I find challenging and try to understand is not only just the research when you have this kind of Western perspective or academic perspectives, but then when you when you travel to these places and trying to understand from their perspective and how they wish to be seen or re recorded whoever you're working with and then the relationships you have with them and how they see you. So that, I, I guess, um, I find that evolving and really, really kind of heavy to deal with and I try not to put my foot in it, but it's it seems to be quite an organic but very challenging kind of thing, especially now with so many indigenous communities with the climate change and everything else, trying to have their voices heard. is something I'm trying to expand upon. So I guess I'm just mm -hmm. contributing. I don't know what, it's not really a question, is it? But it's been going around my head, so. No, thank you. It's, it, I think you're just reiterating some of the things that we're, we're saying, which is uh, the importance of thinking about and preserving other forms of knowledge and the way that we uh, engage with that, right? So thank you for that. Um, time for maybe two questions. One yes, hello, and thank you very much for your interesting contributions. I just wanted to ask, uh, basically, your, uh, all of you. Um, I, I'm orchestrating a, a platform form called Arts and Globalization Platform, um, I, and it's a mix between artistic point of views, curatorial point of views, and, and academic point of views. So I'm very curious because I stand myself with a foot in a lot of camps, uh, and I like this, like, in between position, um, is there a danger in in, in kind of um, taking the uh, art practice 
into the um, vocabulary of research because research is not a neutral word and is of course related, academic research, I mean, related to the history of the university and the hierarchy of, of, of the way that has developed. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about this like kind of free research uh, concept and, and how uh, that, that can be related to artistic research uh, and how is, 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 it, is that danger in, in, uh, in, in using research uh, as a term when you are an artist? For me, no. I don't think there's a problem. <laughs> not at all. Yeah. yeah, because I think it's... Uh, um, I'm not sure how... S I'm not an academic. I mean, even I did my, my Master's in African Art History because I was curious. Mm. So for me, research is more about curiosity. Mm. It's not about uh, uh, structure or uh, uh, that kind of formality. For me, it's about an endless curiosity and how does one process that curiosity. So where do I start? So with the Bowser thing, we'll see in the book, uh, the Bow uh, and reading the book, and first of all, being curious about what Bowditch saw in, in that region of Africa in 1816, and reading things uh, for the first time that I, knowing that I come from Kumasi, knowing that I come from the Ashantis, but uh, 200 years later, reading about the past, my past, or my people's past, uh, described by an Englishman, in the old English terms, for me, it is fascinating. Mm -hmm. And that is the beginning of, of a process of research for me. It's my fascination with what's been said or done, and then try to visualize that. Um, but I, I, I'm, not, I'm not so, um, I don't think there's a, yeah. I'm not worried about it, no. no. I think that, um, so I've been um, teaching for, I don't know, quite a long time. And, um, and have always resisted being part of any research groups. Um, been asked a couple of times, but I've, I've never wanted to put my work into that. I mean, my, my teaching practice is, I, I consider it to be part of my practice as an artist, but I, didn't, I don't, like, like I said before, I, I, I've, no interest in, I've never had an interest in doing a PhD. And so, yeah, I don't want my, my practice as an artist, and my research as an artist is very much for me, and, mm, the, and, and whatever happens to it is translated through, through me into my, into my work. And it's not something that I, I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, I've been to a couple of um, Paul's train events, and, and it's really interesting, of course it is, to, to sit and listen to, uh, you know, to commute with other people in it. But in terms of that, the formal um, kind of, umbrella of research and I'm, it's not something I've ever wanted to be part of. We're all looking at you, Lounge, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll consider it. Yeah. Last question, I think. Oh, gosh, I'll, I'll try to make it good. Oh, no, no. Pr no pressure. A lot of pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, uh, my name is Raina Lampkins-Filder, and... Um, I'm an art historian and I'm a curator for, I'm the curator for the Souls Grown Deep uh, Foundation, which uh, promotes the work of African-American artists from the South in the United States. So artists like Thornton Dial and Monty Hawley, um, the quilt makers from G's Bend, um, these artists. And so obviously one of the concerns that these artists have and, and something that I certainly note is the definition of these artists who were certainly outside of even this 
conversation of research-based art practices, though obviously these artists were very much, as all artists do, can we not actually call research-based art practice just the kind of artistic process and whatever the form it takes that an artist has? You know, when we call it research-based, it seems like now we're going only within the kind of confines of uh, the academy, which I come from, and so I don't necessarily mind that in some respects, but, but acknowledging that there is a, a vast diversity within that, and that that's one form, I guess, of validation of one's creative practice, but it's also in how the sort of the viewer or the, the eye of the person who is kind of putting a stamp on something. So if I am at Lonnie Holly's studio, or Joe Minter's African Village in America, if you want to talk about kind of an archive of history, um, and Joe Minter is kind of archiving 400 years, similar mm -hmm. to you, Mary, of um, enslaved people in America in this massive multi-hectare space of um, found objects, of cataloging in a very idiosyncratic way a certain sort of history in the United States that is incredibly topical as well. So, but very few people might instantly go to this and say, well, this is an archive. And he might even be averse to calling it an archive, though it's one of the largest and substantial archives of material from that part of Alabama that one can find. So why is there, if we can talk a little bit about, because I think some of this is based on a sort of a certain notion of commodification, of who gets access to what, of who is going to write about you, what sort of critic is going to um, kind of position you in one way or another, whether you're inside of the academy or outside of the academy. It's somewhat of a question, somewhat just a comment. But I think all of these different streams, uh, it feels um, maybe following up on uh, your point uh, beforehand that I wouldn't necessarily say it's a danger, but we also need to very much um, kind of acknowledge where some of this is coming from. When you look at, uh, one of my favorite things to see recently was, uh, was uh, Roberta Smith speaking about Horace Pippin and Andrew Wyeth in a rehang at the Met, or at, the, at MoMA and saying, well, this is, it's an amazing thing to see this self-taught African-American artist next to the great American figurist painter, Andrew Wyeth. Now, both of these people, I guess, are self-taught. Andrew Wyeth was homeschooled throughout his life, so never went to the academy, so couldn't have had a PhD in, what, in, what, in whatever. And so it's, we need to look at, I think, certain sorts of labeling of, of artists. Do we take this artist more seriously? because they have a PhD, because they've written a paper about what performance work or completely sound-based invisible work. It's, it's kind of pushing things into certain, into certain kind of areas that are perhaps more beneficial to um, a certain sort of hierarchy that is its own kind of business, as opposed to actually really expanding how we look at artists, their work, and um, how we are given access to it. And so I, I was, I, I like that, Mary, when you, you did say, when people are kind of, you know, why don't you get a PhD? Why don't you get a PhD? If you don't want to, like anyone in the world, I mean, that seems really, it seems absurd to push that. 
and why are people pushing that? I think that's the real question. What is that based on? Is it based on the market? Is it based on the academy? Is it based on race? Is it based on class? What is it? So, I mean, that, that's all. What is it? That's my question. <laughs> what is it? Uh, thank you very much for, for, for that question. Um, <coughs> only you can answer that. Yeah. Uh, yes, I was about to say. <laughs> I was just going to say, exactly. <laughs> Paul has to that's answer That's for that. you, Paul. Well, I mean, I think we're going to round up. I mean, I'm actually, as probably Raina knows, I'm actually working on a show uh, with a lot of these artists uh, that will open at Turner Contemporary. Uh, next year, so please come down to Turner Contemporary end of January, bit of a plug there. I didn't know that Rainer was gonna be here actually, so good to see you, let's talk afterwards. Um, but yeah, now these are crucial questions and I think these are crucial questions at this particular time. Now, I don't, I don't think it's an either or. I don't think it's like, oh well, artists who do PhDs are all evil and they're gonna be, you know. On the other hand, we don't want to romanticize artists that don't do PhDs or artists that are not art school trained either. Right? It's just, again, going back to my question about what kind of knowledge are we producing and accepting a pluriverse of knowledge as, being, uh, as, as, as enriching what we understand by artistic practice. That's the, that's the point. But what, what I would agree with the thrust of your question, and I'm concerned about it as being someone within an art school, um, that there is a kind of closure around this. And a lot of artists feel pressured to doing a PhD because that's a way of getting a job, basically. It's a qualification, you can get an income, you can become a, a teacher, right? Um, and I'm not gonna criticize the, those, uh, those artists at all, but I think you know, we also have to understand and keep, be aware of the diversity of, uh, of practice. And I think tonight, we have, this tonight, sorry, this afternoon, we have, I think we've been bear witness to, to the incredible rich practices of, uh, of these artists today. So I think we'll probably round it off there. I'd like to thank Mary, Leo, and Gottfried for their generosity in sharing their um, ideas and practices around research. Thank you for coming. And uh, yeah, great, see you soon.